Hi, it's me again. So I am so excited to deliver this to you. Um, I am doing something I've never done before, which is a birthday special for my sister. She is the person I am closest to in my family. I always say I would probably go crazy if it weren't for her. It's funny because our personalities aren't really anything alike, but I think what happened was what really brought us together was just having somebody to uh, talk about how weird our parents were. And they still are, honestly, but um, it, it's just like, it's a really odd situation and just having somebody like on the inside who knows what's going on and there's there's not a lot of like judgment there either because sometimes when you say critical things about your parents to other people they're like oh no don't don't do that you know they get all sad and stuff so yeah they work so hard for you and they brought you into this world and you're so special like you know, <laughs> that, that sort of shit. So, yeah. If you haven't guessed, I'm pretty tired of hearing people gush over how much they love their parents. And I know for a fact that my sister is too, because she's told me this before. And it's just really nice when you have somebody you can relate to like that. So I've been racking my brain all week because uh, I knew I was going to do this and I had it all planned out. I just needed the time. And I was just thinking, like, what are some good memories that I can talk about on the podcast? Many a time, I would watch her play uh, the OG Grand Theft Auto. And I wasn't a really big, like, video game person, so I actually really enjoyed, like, watching her do that. And I didn't feel, like, left out at all. It, it, to me, it was just kind of like watching a TV show. It, it actually, it's kind of like how people um, watch streams of people playing a video game now. You know, that's entertainment now. So it's kind of like that, uh, but back then. And then I also would, um, oh, I think, I'm trying to remember what the setup was for the computer when she would play The Sims. I think by then we had it in the kitchen. Like, we moved the computer uh, into the kitchen. And it was one of those really boxy, like, 90s ones for a while. And then we finally, like, upgraded it later, down, later on down the line. But I used to, like, pull up uh, a really, like old worn out wooden chair and watch her play like the sims and it's the original one so the thing is like the original game the, it had a lot of sass to it like as you played it you could tell the people who made this were they would like throw in little like little easter eggs and like weird shit would happen and like there was a craft to it there was a real like artistry about it and the graphics weren't great but it was entertaining it was entertaining to play that game i still can vividly remember my favorite piece of furniture from the sims 1 it's the heart bed if you've played it before you know what i'm talking about if not, search it online. <laughs> Get a good laugh out of that. It's, uh, hmm. It's, it's just, like, weird shit like that was in the game. And, like, oh, man. It was just, it was a great time. She used to get all the expansion packs for Christmas. Man, it was a good time. And I was just like, you know what? I'll just watch her play it. <laughs> I don't need to, like... Once in a while, I would ask to play it, but I think um, people, well, mom and dad would say that it's like an adult game. And, you know, I understand. I mean, I think I did 
when I finally was like old, considered old enough to play it, even then I was really clumsy at it. Like I, I don't know. I just really wasn't good at it for a while there. So it's not like as if I could like play a game and really have any fun. It was more fun to watch my sister because she knew what she was doing. Oh my god, I just remembered that fucking Egyptian PC game that she used to play. And it was like you play as a pharaoh or something and you build like um, a village or something. You like... and. Oh my god, I tried, I, I snuck on one time to play it, and, or it was probably, like, after she lost interest in it, and then I was like, I'll, I'll try it, and I, I tried playing it, and oh my god, I failed so bad, like, I tried building a village, and then, like, this, uh, dragon showed up, I don't know what, I forget what they call it in the game, but it was like a, like a serpent or something, and it was like killing everybody and burning down the buildings that I just built, and I was like, oh my god, this game is too scary, so I stopped playing that pretty quickly, man, PC games, that was like all that our family could afford really for like any kind of video games, they weren't I wouldn't con really consider them video games, they're more PC games, but yeah, that's like what was in our uh, spending amount that we could do. That was what was within the budget. Um, okay, and then um, I also remember that uh, we would watch a lot of movies together in her room, and um, I think we we would try to like do that it's not like we would try to do it behind mom and dad's back like they they didn't really stop us like they I know that they didn't want me to watch certain movies because they were con again they were considered too adult for me <clears throat> but we just ended up watching them shits anyway so you know um <sighs> oh man she would know better than me, like, what mom and dad's reactions were to that. Because I, I was just along for the ride. I was like, what are we going to watch next? And, um, I don't know. Some things, some movies I can remember off of my head that we watched together was, like, Moulin Rouge, uh, Clueless, Mean Girls, Friday, Juno, like, that sort of stuff. And I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun watching those movies with her. Oh, we watched Shrek together. That was, oh, fuck, Shrek. So, uh, um, I, so what happened, what had happened was I repeated a line from the Shrek movie that included the word ass in it. And I, like, once we were, I think it was after we were done watching it, I, like, I repeated that line and um, my sister got really like, don't say that, you know? And I was like, why? And um, she said like, well, I, I don't really care if you say it, but like, if mom and dad hear that you said that, they'll get really mad and I'll get in trouble. So, <laughs> so, oh man, it's, it's just, it's good times. It's good times. I know other movies, I, that we watched together during that time, I would, like, I would get really emotional during certain ones. Like, definitely Moulin Rouge. I was like, oh my god. I was trying not to cry in front of my big sister because I'm like, oh no, I can't, you know. Just trying to, like, not be a wuss or anything. But, um, I think we watched, we watched Pocahontas together. We, we watched, like, Disney movies together, too. Yeah. You have to understand, like, that was really, like, the only part of it that really felt like family time, you know? Like, because I didn't do this shit with, like, mom and dad. Um, like, and she didn't either because it's, like, we couldn't really engage them. Like, they wanted to watch their own things. It's not like they really wanted to, like, share a moment with us, um, it was just weird. So, like, the, 
I don't know. I, I really don't know any other way to explain it other than we just got really close during that time. I remember one time we we were looking and there wasn't a lot of food either. But we would like look in the pantry for like snacks to watch during the movie and <clears throat> it had it had just been that we had found some popcorn. Um <sighs> I, it was already orange, like straight out of the bag, right? When you popped it fresh from the bag, it was already orange. And then you put like a liquid, like a liquid cheese <laughs> over it. <laughs> oh man, it was so good. But I'm telling you, the sodium, oh my God. Like, this is just so unhealthy. <laughs> there was like nothing healthy to eat, like... <laughs> oh my god, I'm sorry. I was just remembering, like, the amount of... <laughs> sorry. The amount of, like, Twinkies. <laughs> the amount of Twinkies that I would eat in one sitting. And, like... <laughs> I, I just recently remembered <laughs> how many fucking Oreos that I used to eat. <laughs> No child should, <laughs> I'm sorry, no child should, like, eat a meal like that, you know? Like, it's, like, way too much sugar. Oh my god, it, it was, like, it was a trip. It was a wild time. So, yeah, I, I had really good times with my sister. And so... In the process of looking for a good fandom to pick for this episode, I thought, okay, she just told me about this TV show she really likes called White Lotus. And, um, yeah, she told me all about it on one of our hikes together, and um, we ended up watching it separately. Um, I finally, when I finally found time to watch it, um, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. And so naturally, I was like, okay, this would be a really good pick. Um, and But then I was really disappointed when I looked it up on Archive of Our Own, which is where I get the fandom, like the fanfics that I read. I looked it up and there wasn't a lot of results. And like it, there was, there like, one of the fanfics had, like, incest in it, and so I was like, oh, God, you know. And then another one was, like, sexually objectifying a native character, and I was just like, oh, man, this is, like, such a bummer, you know. I don't want to read anything near to this, and honestly, the rest of it just wasn't really interesting, so. <sighs> so then I was like... Um, what about the first Conjuring movie? Because, um, she, um, she had recently found out that I had never seen it before, and so we watched it together, and we had just such a good time, like, laughing during it, like, it was super funny and everything, so I'm like, alright, this is gonna be the one. So, yes, without further ado, we're gonna, oh man. We're gonna get in, like, okay, so now what I'm doing is I'm not, like, leaving it up to chance anymore. I am vetting these fix first, and there is a word limit, because we want to keep it nice and concise around here, you know? Um, it's, we're not staying the night, we're just here to visit. So, yeah, all of these fix are relatively short, and, um... Also, none of them are explicit because for like a birthday episode for my sister, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm just not gonna go there. Like, oh, <laughs> uh, no. So, so yeah, I really hope that uh, you enjoy these. And I'm sorry if my voice is a little craggly because I haven't really recorded an episode in a while. Okay, so I do need to explain that these aren't necessarily going to be of the first movie, and there could be crossovers uh, in these results, too. I don't know, it's been a while since I looked at them. So, this is just shit that's within the Conjuring universe, basically. 
Um, our first one happens to be uh, That Which I Households by R. Somers. Uh, this is a general audience's rating, um, and it's uh, strictly within the Conjuring movies fandom. The relationship is between Ed Warren and Lorraine Warren. Um, and looks like it was published in 2021. Okay, and uh, the summary just says, Lorraine reflects on what resides in the Warrens' house. Okay. I just took a shot um, of uh, White Russian, and it really wasn't too bad. I, I actually made it pretty good where it didn't, like, hit me, you know. So that's good. Um, yes. Oh, this this is like a few paragraphs. This isn't anything. And here's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to zhuzh it up a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit over dramatic over these readings because um, I, I did like glance over them. And a lot of them are like, they're really like tender hearted, like just dripping with angst sort of ones. So I'm, I'm really gonna like, I'm gonna get emo here. All right, let's go. Lorraine Warren shifted her position on the bed. She'd long grown used to living above a room where she and her husband, Ed, kept haunted objects. To them, it was almost as natural as breathing. Yet still, every once in a while, when she was lying awake at night, her thoughts would seep below the floorboards of the bedroom and into the basement below. With great power comes great responsibility. Wasn't that a phrase from those Spider-Man comics kids read nowadays? Regardless, the phrase rang true. Even if it felt like a burden at times, Lorraine had been blessed with a gift, and gifts from God needed to be used to help those in need. But for all the evil that Ed and Lorraine cast out, there was some that lingered, staining objects it touched. So with this great power Lorraine had, she felt it was her responsibility, alongside the Catholic Church, to keep the evil at bay. Despite everything, Lorraine was not deaf to the whispers of neighbors. Let them speak amongst themselves, Lorraine told herself, and if they come to the conclusion that what we do is invalid, then at least they have been spared the horrors of what this universe can hold. Lorraine knew the weight of what she and Ed carried, and yet, Despite the horrors that they held, she felt safe and secure. God had not given them anything they couldn't handle. And even when times were tough, at the end of the day, she and Ed and Ed had... Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. At the end of the day, she had Ed and Ed had her. Turning onto her side, Lorraine watched her sleeping husband's chest rise and fall. Yes, their basement had evil in it, but it was overpowered by something stronger, love. God's unconditional love for the world and the love of a family. Evil could, I'm sorry. Evil could try and rip and tear its way out, but the bonds of love were what held everything together in the end. Okay, this has just a handful of kudos and no comments? What? I am totally leaving a comment after this. It deserves it. Okay, that was a pretty good one, actually. I like how they emphasized the Christian factor of it because, you know, at the end of the day, Ed and Lorraine Warren, they really are like Christian superheroes. You know, it's like, if you look at it that way, you're gonna have like so much more fun while you're watching it and um oh another thing I probably would recommend is um if you haven't seen the Conjuring movies and you want to I would really recommend that you like toke up beforehand like get yourself like 
you know, just like, hmm, you know, <laughs> just get yourself in like an altered state because it's really like better enjoyed that way. And you'll, you'll laugh a little bit more at the ridiculous parts of it. Now that's a good movie to get drunk to. And I love getting drunk and watching horror movies. That's like, oh my God, I love it. All right, so our next one I have queued up here is called Ave Maria by, I'm probably not going to pronounce their name right, uh, Maywin. It is a teen and up rating, F slash M. It's within the Conjuring Movies fandom and the Nun 2018 fandom. And I believe this is part two of the Where Angels Fear to Tread, Demons Will Gladly Waltz series by this um, creator. And it was published in 2018. So when the Nun movie came out. Awesome. Summary says, having failed in yet another mission for the forces of the damned, Valak I think that's how you say it, is back to normal temptation duties on Earth, tending a rather strange shop of antiquities on the side whilst subverting the local populace, he doesn't expect the Warrens to walk right into his domain. Author's notes, I recently saw The Nun and really enjoyed it. I've seen a fair bit of The Conjuring 2, but didn't pay all that much attention to the main characters, so I apologize if they seem out of character. Makes sense. And this one is a little bit longer, but not too long. Alright. Alright, let's do this. The bell at the door jingles, and Varric ignores it for a moment to continue reading. He's been trying to track down this book for ages, not an easy task to keep such an ancient tome hidden from his from him either so naturally he'd be oh so delighted to find it that old priest hadn't even put up that much of a fight excuse me a woman's voice says yes Varric asks eyes glued to his book he knows that voice i send you back to hell we're looking for a rather particular antique clock, and we'd heard it might be here, a man cuts in. Varric sighs. He'd been struck, sorry, stuck on normal tempting duty since that fiasco with the girl in England. Higher-ups tossed him topside, and here he was, possessing the body of a former, former cultist. The cultist had had the decency to pass on just as he'd been forced into the mortal plane. And he had a similar name. He does so love it when he can use names similar to his own. Marquise of Snakes. Bitch. Varric lifts his eyes from the book to stare directly at the woman in front of him. She can't sense him else she'd be freaking out and brandishing that gaudy cross that hangs around her neck. He blinks lazily. Lorraine flinches. Varric's eyes are green edging into yellow, a chartreuse that no doubt reminds Lorraine of Valak's eyes, staring at her from beneath a nun's habit. He does so enjoy that form. Romania was ever so fun. Varric smiles, a thin, two-stretched thing. We don't have such an object within our collection, Varric says softly. I do apologize. Um, Lorian says, are you certain? Quite, Varric says. As the front door dings again, ah, Maria, you're back early. Maria is a lovely, slender young woman with eyes like the oak of the pits of the damned and smooth skin the color of mahogany. She's worn her dark hair down, free of the plates she usually he usually sees her in with. She's also the girlfriend of the deceased cultist. Not that she knows he's dead, 
oh, but he's having far too much fun tempting her. I, I, I get that. I get that he's having a lot of fun doing this. Hey, V, she says cheerfully. Got you coffee? She waves a cup at him, emblazoned with the emblem of that particular coffee shop across the street, the one that doesn't pay its workers quite enough and is slowly adding to the misery that permeates the air. It tastes like home, sweet and seething despair and delicious agony. Thank you, dear, Varric says, taking it from her and setting it to the side. He closes his book and places it under the counter. Can I help you with anything else? Do you have any strange items that you've come across? Ed asks. Varric smiles. I do, actually. He suppresses the maniacal cackling. The floorboards rattle faintly, and Lorraine looks down, frowning. We're near the railroad, Maria supplies, perching on the counter. That happens often. Oh, Lorraine says. Varric walks back to where he knows he's stored that painting and carries it back. Painted side turned towards him. We got this from one of our sister shops in London, he says. No idea who painted it, but it's interesting. I've not seen this art style before. He sets it on the counter, turning it. Both Warrens flinch. Are you all right? Maria asks. It's just a painting. Fine, Lorraine says. I just never thought I'd see it again. You know the artist? Varric asks. I'd love to see more of their work. I painted it, Ed says. Not really into art anymore. Pity, Varric says. It really is. It's a nice piece of work. Does an excellent job of capturing Valak's aura of darkness. Varric doesn't want to sell it, Maria says slyly. It's a favorite of his. I'd hang it up in the shop if I didn't think that others might not appreciate it, Varric says. There is an air about the painting now, courtesy of Varric's touch. The eyes are brighter, the shadows darker, and if one looks closely, there is minute traces of blood at the edges of the nun's black veil. Maria looks it over. Looks brighter than before. Had an art restorer take a look at it, Varric lies. Maria nods. Looks good. She can never tell when he's lying anymore. Something Varric is pleased with. He's got his talents so deep inside her soul now, she might as well be one of his legion. Ed seems unnerved by the painting, while Lorraine frowns at it. Varric drums his fingers against the wood. What do you think? He purrs. It looks... Well, Ed says, Varric can taste the lie and tilts his head, watching the couple carefully. Might I have your name? Varric asks, so that I may at least give you credit. Ed Warren, Ed says at last, extending a hand. And yours? Varric Forster, Varric says, shaking his hand, careful not to break the man's arm. It would be somewhat amusing, but there are other ways to torment a soul. A pleasure. Ed will be having nightmares for weeks, Varric thinks, pleased with the seed that he's placed within the man's mind. This is my wife, Lorraine, Ed introduces. Lorraine, Varric says, smiling. A name meaning the kingdom of Lothar, a region in France heavily disputed in the aftermath of World War I. I did not know that, Lorraine says. You must know your history. I try, Varric says. I take it you will not be buying this painting from us today. Yes, Ed replies. Very well, Varric says, moving the painting to a nearby table, lying it flat. Anything else we can do for you? No, I think we're good, Lorraine says. But please, let us know if anyone sells anything strange. She slides a business card across the counter. Varric examines it and tucks it away into a pocket. Of course, Miss Warren he says smoothly. He watches them go, and the floorboards rattle again as the front door closes. Do enjoy your trip, dear Warrens. We haven't seen the last of each other yet. Beside him, Maria entangles one hand with his. V, you okay? She asks. Perfect, darling, he lies, leaning down to kiss her. 
just perfect. This has a pretty good amount of kudos on it and three comments. Kat says, ah, finally another entertaining and wonderful short fic about Valik. If you ever decide on writing more, I'll more than likely be the first to read and or comment because man, this was good. Thank you. Author responds, thank you. I wish there was more like it in the fandom. I do have more planned for him, so look forward to more fix at some point. Cat responds, you're welcome. Ooh, I simply can't wait and couldn't agree more. Valak is such an interesting being from the f- this franchise. Heck, from any horror movies in the last handful of years, besides Insidious. So I'm glad I found your little fic. Smiley face. Alright. Well, that one didn't really get into it get into it all that much, but I understand it's a part of the series. You have to kind of keep reading it to get more of the story. So, yeah. Alright, our next one is called Damien Omen's Redemption by Prophet of Weasels. This is a teen and up rating. Um, it's within the Omen movies fandom and the Conjuring movies fandom. And it was also published in 2018. Summary. After the first defeat of the Antichrist that the Bible recites, he is brought before God to make a choice, burn in hell or be given a second chance to use his gifts and the blood in his veins to help the world. Trapped inside Rome where his soul is remade, Damien awakens in the 1970s with a new destiny, a new outlook, a new shield, and, for once, a true purpose. If he can help stop the rising of demons and hell, he will. But why? For what reason should he? He has a chance at redemption. He is the Antichrist. He is the beast. He is a child. He He is human. Author's notes, this is also posted on my fanfiction account, The Prophet of Weasels. No one is surprised. This is just an idea... I enjoy thinking about and decided to write it down. I love toying with Damien's humanity and I always have done since the first time I watched the second film. We don't talk about the third one, so I wanted to have a go at setting it like the Omen films hadn't happened and the Antichrist was intercepted after the first fight. It's just for fun. Alright, chapter one. Bear your soul. He had failed. The Antichrist had failed his only job in life to defeat Jesus Christ and his followers. And yet, here he was, defeated at the tender age of 28. He did his best to ignore the scathing stares of the angels surrounding him and never let his shame show. His reddened eyes stared at the wooden floor that he hadn't expected in heaven, almost trying to burn holes in them. The carpentry was absolutely lovely, he could admit that, but he had worse than things to focus on. Damien, son of the jackal, the beast, the bearer of sin, Antichrist and the messenger, a booming voice, deep voice, filled the ears of the man in question and made him internally groan. He knew everything that was about to be said, and he just wanted to get the sentencing over with so he could leave. What an unfortunate hand you were dealt. Damien's eyes widened in surprise, now focusing on his bare feet, as the voice continued to speak. Born into a fate you could not change, and were none who could help you could reach. Damien refrained from rolling his shoulders, an old habit of his, as the words just kept pouring from the literal man upstairs. So very human, aren't you? Am I now? Damien's voice was quiet, almost no sign of the powerful man he had been. Why don't you get it over with? Send me down to burn for my sins. One of the angels looked as if they were going to spit spit out some words, but the booming voice cut them off. Because you would be wasted down there. The voice surprised him again, Damien's throat involuntarily tightening. Oh, so he's getting emotional? You have incredible potential, child, if you are given the right guidance. I have already failed the only reason for my existence, and I am a murderer. 
Damien wasn't sure if he was annoyed, angry, upset, or all of them rolled into one bundle of emotions. Before me, I do not see the monster that men have made you. I do not see a vicious beast ready to strike at me, as any true servant of the Prince of Darkness would. The voice had gotten far soft, and Damien felt a strange warmth around him, despite the fact that he was a soul quite literally naked before the Lord. There were a few angels who were beginning to look uncomfortable with their savior's enemy being around for so long, but Damien had yet to see them. I see a lost child who has been misguided, a child whose guardian couldn't care less about him, and used him solely as a messenger who can be replaced. I see a boy who is above all human. But I'm not, am I? Damien shrugged his shoulders, shaking his head slightly. I have evil in my veins, and it has always guided me. Damien didn't speak another word as the angels around him suddenly vanished, walls and decor appearing around him as he fell to his knees, his arms shaking as he dug his nails into his kneecaps. He didn't know what was going on, but he just wanted it all to be over. He didn't want to sit here and be lectured by the Almighty. Perhaps if your form was still the beast, I could believe in what you're trying to tell me. However, the Dark Prince himself made a terrible mistake. He made you in the image of the very entity he despises more than any other. Perhaps he hoped that you would be emotionless and vacant, and from birth be focused on gaining followers. Damien felt a hand on his shoulder in a comforting manner, but he squeezed his eyes shut. How could he expect such a thing from one so young? I can't ask him myself, sadly. What do you want from me? Damien's voice was beginning to crack, his body shaking. He refused to cry in front of the Lord. What kind of message would that send? But every part of him wanted to believe what the Lord was saying. He didn't want to believe that no one actually cared, but yet he didn't know why. Perhaps he was far more human than he believed. No, no, he couldn't. He was evil rising. He was chaos. He was supposed to destroy Jesus Christ. So now, why was the Almighty comforting him like he was a child who failed to catch a ball? I want you to know your truth, Damien. There was a long silence as the Antichrist absorbed everything he was hearing. It made no sense and yet every bit of sense. Do you know what truthfully runs through your veins? Evil, as I said. No, Damien, far from it. There was almost a chuckle in the disembodied voice. My son had to create you, as I did with your counterpart. Damien winced at the memory of the battle. So what was the feared Satan before the rebellion? An angel. His blood did not change too much, just twisted. So I ask again, what runs through your veins? No answer came from the man. His back bending forward even more with his fingernails digging deeper into his fair skin. Black hair sticking from sweat, shielding his eyes from view. Although he doubted that literal God needed to see his face as his brain tried to wrap around everything. He had angelic blood in his veins, and yet, why had he never thought of it? Why was he never given that option? He had to numb himself to death. He'd been led and manipulated into believing all he was capable of was evil. Yet, he had loved, mourned, grieved, and had hope. Did none of that matter to anyone around him? Damien swallowed a thick lump, slowly beads of blood dripping down his knees until laughter filled the room. It was a quiet chuckle-like sound as Damien dislodged his fingers from his delicate skin. Well, that would explain why I'm so ravishingly handsome, shaking his head slightly in disbelief. He'd done a lot of that in his life. He admired the spiraling pattern in the wood. If I understand you correctly, you're telling me I have celestial blood. Exactly, Damien 
practically felt the voice nod. I want to give you a second chance. For your sake, why? Damien tilted his head to the left, slightly with question. Confused as to why the Lord would want to give his son's attempted murderer another chance. I believe you can be saved. Damien wanted to laugh at the, at the thought. You have good in you. It was there before those around you manipulated your fate. Damien's mind was drawn back to his earlier thoughts, but he tried not to let them consume him. He still had a reputation to try and uphold. I killed on my own free will. No one with your fate has a free will. Damien stayed silent. I can place you somewhere safe on earth, to rest and to heal, and then you can be reborn, a form of reincarnation, if you will. You will still be yourself, with all the memories of everything that has happened, but you will be given the choice of acting differently. This rebirth will allow you to use your celestial blood properly. Just because you are the Antichrist doesn't mean you have to act on it. The voice paused for a moment, giving Damien time to unjumble his thoughts. I couldn't save my son, no matter how much I wanted to, but I can still save you. What if I fail? Insecurity filled him once again, reminding Damien how human he actually was. You won't fail. Before Damien could say another word, everything went white. Uh, author's notes. Hi, everybody. Hope you enjoyed. There is more to come. Stay fabulous. The weasel is out. This has only a few kudos on it and one comment. Uh, Griffin Lord Die She says, Damn, don't do this to me. I would love to see Valak and the other demons' reaction from their boss's son turned against them. I love that we're really, really getting into the religious factor of all this. Also, sorry if I was a little bit, um, how do you say it? I kind of stumbled over my words a little bit because the uh, grammar wasn't exactly correct in this one, but that's fine, it all worked out in the end. Alright, this next one is exceedingly short. It is Iron Roses by Bellevard Street. It's not rated. Uh, it's strictly within the Conjuring movies fandom. And the relationship is between Ed Warren and Lorraine Warren. Um, and it was published 2019. Summary says, Lorraine Warren has isolated herself after an unsuccessful experience with an exorcism. Valak has become the family's stay-in nurse and frightens Judy every chance she can get. Alright, chapter one. Judy Warren stands behind her parents' bedroom door and listens to the soft humming sound of her mother rocking in a wooden chair. Lorraine Warren survived a terrible demonic exorcism involving a young man with a cross burning the inside of his flesh. He grabbed her and frightened her so much, she was no longer the same person afterwards. The rain stopped eating and barely made any effort to speak more than a few words. Miss, Mrs. Lorraine was in poor health, both in body and soul. Judy twists the no doorknob and pushes it open. She steps inside the room to find her mother continuously rocking in her wooden chair. Her hair hangs down unbrushed. Lorraine keeps rocking on the balls of her bare feet. Mommy, Judy, walks toward the chair. She stands beside Lorraine, who keeps humming quietly to herself. She's holding a cornhusk doll Valak made for her this morning. Mommy, it's me. Judy speaks again. She waits for Lorraine to stop caressing the dried-up husks and turn back to her normal self. This woman, seated before her, was a total stranger. You shouldn't disturb your mother. A deeper voice breaks in. It was the Warren's new house nurse, Valak. Valak was many things. A nurse, a demon, a nun. In human form, she was hauntingly pretty, with sharp eyes, thin lips, and dark hair. She had a pleasant figure, all dressed in linen skirts and lacy veils. Judy Warren's afraid of Valak. She's had nightmares about her own death. 
I just wanted to see her, Judy whimpers, reeling back from the rocking chair that holds her comatose state mother. She watches Felic pull something out from her apron pocket. It was a peppermint candy. For you, the demon nun's yellow eyes seem to be telling the worn girl. Judy runs past her and flees out of the room, panic seeping through her veins. She wants Felic to go away and never return. Ed Warren stands outside working in the garage. He staggers on his boots the moment his daughter tackles him in a tight embrace. Her nose buries beneath the loop holes of his denim trousers. Easy, Judy, you're shaking like a leaf, he chuckles, clamping a grease-nailed a grease-nailed hand on top of her sweaty head. Ed drops the wrench back inside the metal toolbox and holds onto his daughter close. Kate says a pretty good amount of kudos, but no comments. That one was so short. You could definitely tell that they were trying to get you to, like, want to read the next chapter to find out what happens, I guess. But, yeah. Let's see. Alright, here we go, here we go. This last one is supposed to be, like, a sappy one. So, sometimes we can't save them all by R. Summers. This is a teen and up reading, uh, strictly within the fandom. Or, sorry, the Conjuring fandom. Uh, relationship between Ed and Lorraine Warren. And this was published 2021. Summary says, Ed comforts Lorraine after a deadly case. When Ed and Lorraine Warren closed a case, they usually felt a wave of relief that they had not only helped someone in need, but assisted with vanquishing evil. This time around, however, was different. While evil had been conquered, it had come with a price, and that cost was a person now resting in a morgue. The Warrens had done all they could, but the man's body wasn't strong enough to resist the evil within. Now, hours after the young man's death and speaking with both the police and Catholic Church on the matter, the couple was finally arriving back home. You go clean up first, Ed said, as he locked the door. Lorraine nodded in response as she entered. Walking into their bedroom, Lorraine gave a start when she saw herself in the mirror. The last session of the case had been particularly violent, as the blood stains on both her blouse and skirt could attest. At least their daughter, Judy, was staying overnight at Lorraine's mother's house, and wouldn't see any of this. Lorraine decided as she turned on the lights, not bothering to remove her clothes. I'll have to soak them anyway, she thought. Lorraine entered the shower and turned on the water. The droplets felt good on her face. But the moment she closed her eyes, her thoughts returned to the house they had just left. The man lying on the floor, eyes open but unseeing, as his wife called his name over and over, while she wept over his body. How utterly powerless Lorraine felt in that moment, knowing that she and Ed had done all they could, but were still unable to save the person who'd pleaded for help. How Lorraine had put herself in the young woman sorry, the, the young wife's shoes, and imagined it had been the other way around with herself mourning Ed. Overcome with emotion, Lorraine began to cry, her tears mixing with the water droplets as she sank to the floor. It was all, it always took a toll when they couldn't save a life, but this, this case seemed more personal. Lorraine? Ed pulled the curtain aside, not bothering to take the time to turn off the water as he bent down next to his wife. Still overcome with emotion, Lorraine cried into his shoulder as he stepped into the shower and wrapped his arms around her. She hadn't heard him enter the bathroom, but she was glad he had. Shh. Ed brushed Lorraine's wet hair aside and kissed her cheek. It's okay. You're going to be okay. That couple, Lorraine managed to say between tears. I know, Ed said, as he gently rocked her back and forth. I know. They sat in stillness for a few minutes as the water soaked their clothes. Finally, Lorraine broke the silence. That should never have happened to them. No, Ed agreed, his voice soft. It shouldn't have. Taking a shaky breath, Lorraine took Ed's hand in hers. I can't imagine what she's going through right now. If that had been you, I'd just... 
She rubbed the wedding ring on her fin on his finger. She rubbed the wedding ring on his finger. I don't know what I'd be doing. Ed took his free hand and placed it on top of Lorraine's. We'll help her in whatever way we can, starting with praying for a couple for the couple tonight. As for losing me, Ed brought her hands to his face and gave them a gentle kiss. I'm right here. Lorraine leaned inwards and pressed her forehead against Ed's. She was still distraught, but there was a certain strength to be found in a loved one's, Ed's, presence. We can't save everyone who asks for help, Ed reminded her, but we can do our best, and sometimes our best has to be enough. Author's Notes Yes, I had the shower scene from Casino Royale in mind while working on this story. This has a pretty good amount of kudos, but no comments. <laughs> I can't stop laughing and it's all over my face now. <laughs> I actually did it that time. Oh my god, I did it! So, you don't know how long I've been wanting to do that. And <laughs> so I I made a I made like a some kind of a comment while we were watching the first conjuring movie about that song that appears in the movie, how it would sound so much funnier if it was um, somebody singing it underwater, like, and doing it like, like the bubbles sort of thing. So I was like, I was hoping I could recreate it with my sparkling water. And in the process, I laughed, I chuckled a little bit, and it splashed all over my face. So I hope that was worth it, but oh man. I just, as soon as I thought of that, I could not stop laughing when I, when we watched the movie together. Okay, I decided to do one more, maybe a few more, I don't know. But, um, this one's called Red Crayon, uh, by Bella Verde Street. Oh, that's the person who wrote Iron Roses. So, this is not rated, it's F slash M. It's within the Conjuring Movies fandom and Annabelle 2014 fandom. And the relationship is between Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, it was published 2019. Summary says, Lorraine finds a written piece of note. Lorraine Warren stands in front of the medicine cabinet mirror, drying her wet hair with a towel. She hears something slide underneath the, bath the bathroom door. Glancing over, she sees a note lying on the wooden floorboards, holding the corners of a, s a second towel wrapped under, sorry, around her body. Lorraine r walks over to pick up the paper. Unfolding it, she reads in lowercase red crayon, Miss Me? She crumples the paper and begins to put on a set of clothes. Downstairs, her daughter plays with a velvet toy horse at the dining table. Judy doesn't look up as her mother unfolds the childish note. Judy, did you write this? Mrs. Lorraine's voice sharpens. Judy picks up a Barbie brush and starts brushing the horse's dark mane. Lorraine shakes the paper. Judith, look at me when I'm talking to you. I didn't write that. Annabelle did. That's not funny, young lady. Lorraine warns her. We don't lie under this house. I'm not lying, Mommy. The porch door pushes open with Ed Warren coming through the house, wiping grease off his hands with an old dish rag. He was fixing the neighbor's truck next door and was all done. He could feel the tension between his wife and daughter. What's up? He, he asked them. I found this in the bathroom with me. Lorraine hands the note over to her husband. Ed takes it 
reads it and chuckles. That's cute, Judy. I didn't do it, Daddy. It was Annabelle, she shouts. Annabelle is downstairs, locked inside her case. Ed tries passing the note back to Lorraine, who waves it away. I'll go check myself. Ed throws the note away before going down the creaky basement steps. He walks past different possessed objects towards the glass case where the cursed doll is kept. The glass case is empty. This has a few kudos and two comments. Cam says, well, shit, Annabelle did escape. Author responds, yes, yes, she did. Okay, here's another one that's relatively short. It's called Ed's Ties by Cho or Charlotte. Charlotte, sorry. This is a teen and up rating. F slash M. Strictly within the Conjuring movies fandom. Relationship is between Ed and Lorraine Warren. And it was published in 2021. Summary reads, Ed's Ties All Around the Years. Author's notes, hi everyone, I wanted to write about this pair's sense so many times, so enjoy it. English is not my natural language, so be kind. Enjoy. If you have some fic ideas, tell me. Alright. His ties. Ed's ties are always assorted with his wife's dress. Sometimes it's blue, sometimes it's gray, and sometimes it's pink. Ed is always okay with wearing pink if it's for his Lorraine. Only if it's for his Lorraine, though. Ed's ties are always here when Lorraine wants him to attach her. He always used his ties because he knows how much she finds it sexy. They're used for blindfold her, but also for tied her hands. This kind of sex is one of their favorite. Ed's ties are also the cutest thing ever known. Every Father's Day, Judy chews a new tie for her father because she always loved his ties. When she was very young, she craft a paper tie for him. Now it's in Ed's office with all her draw drawings. Ed's ties have, so have seen so many things. Family times, sexy times, and now... His black tie will always be here for him, wearing this tie in his grave. In, in this grave, Lorraine is crying next to Judy. She puts her hand softly in her pocket, his pink tie inside, her favorite one because he wore it for her. This only has uh, five kudos and no comments. What? People are so annoying. Leave a comment. Okay, I mainly want to do this next one because I enjoy doing a Lorraine crying voice so much. So this is called One Last Dance by R. Summers. Um, another one that we've read from, that was the first one actually, That Witch of Households. Uh, this is Teen and Up rating, uh, strictly within the Conjuring fandom. Relationship between Ed and Lorraine Warren. And this was published in 2021. Summary says, Lorraine's final moments with Ed before his death. And uh, we are set in the mid-2000s here. Lorraine had always hoped that she and Ed would pass away together. That neither of them would have to spend a day on this earth without each other. But while God had granted them many happy years together, it was Ed that he called first. Lorraine had a hard time accepting Ed was dying. When he finally... When she finally came to terms with the matter, it didn't make saying goodbye any easier. Even when he had no longer, he was, sorry, even when he was no longer conscious, when the breathing apparatus was one of the few things keeping him alive, she refused to leave his side. Sleep was hard to come by in the hospital room, but the rhythmic beeping from Ed's heart monitor must have lulled Lorraine to sleep at one point. For one moment, she was sitting by Ed's bedside. The next, she was in a white room. Lorraine? She turned around and found herself face to face with Ed. She knew it wasn't a dream. She could feel it in her bones. It had been years since Lorraine had a vision, but whatever she was having now was connecting her to Ed's consciousness. Ed! She rushed over and embraced him, the two appearing as they had in their forties. I've missed you so much. 
I've missed you too, he said, holding on to her as tightly as he could. I just had to see you one last time. Lorraine leaned back so she could see his face. Is it? Yes, Ed said, his eyes shining with tears. Tonight's the night. Lorraine couldn't repress a sob from escaping her lips. I don't know how I'll do this without you. This isn't goodbye, Ed reminded her as he cupped her face in his hands. We'll be together again in heaven, but until that time, you have so much life left to live. But you are my life! There's so much more you can still do, Ed said. Continue telling the world about what we've seen and what we've accomplished. Help them to see God's love for his people. Somewhere far away, Lorraine heard Ed's heart monitor begin to slow. A knowing look came across came across their eyes as they recognized in a few seconds Ed would go to his eternal home. Holding out his hand, Ed asked, One last dance? Lorraine nodded as she took it. Together they swayed, cherishing each other as the beeps began to slow. I love you, Lorraine. With the final beep, Lorraine replied, I love you, Ed. Author's notes, this may be the saddest story I've written to date. I even almost teared up writing it. Please go read something happy afterwards. This has a few kudos on it and four comments. Uh, Kitsun511 said, Aw, you made me sad. Crying emoji. Good job, though. Author responds, I'm sorry, but also thank you. Kitsun replies, Don't be sorry. It was amazing. You moved me to tears, and that's a good thing. You deserve an award. Author responds, Oh, thank you. Heart emoji. I made sure to post happier work after, or at least works that weren't sad. Alright, so I hope you enjoyed that. I really thought, like, oh my god, The Conjuring? Perfect for this, you know? So, yep. Happy birthday, and that's it.